Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. An honor and a privilege to have you here with me. As always, fired up here for the election season. Getting ready to see where all this goes. And I am a little surprised, I'll be honest with you, that at a time when there's a, to call it a a heated election would be quite an understatement, and to call it an acrimonious Supreme Court battle would also be an understatement. Uh, But there's a a relative pause here in, in the main narrative from the left. I think that perhaps, and I've been saying this all along, that my expectation is that they will say completely unhinged, insane things. Let's recall, it was not long ago that they were accusing uh, the, the, you know, the grown-up equivalent of an altar boy of Brett Kavanaugh, that they were accusing him of being a serial gang rapist from high school. And... They will say anything to try to stop Amy Coney Barrett. The problem is their usual attacks, even if they lie, I think they've recognized they're going to have to get really creative with their evil. They're going to have to extend themselves, get a little bit outside their comfort zone with the usual sexist, racist. I mean, they could call Amy Coney Barrett a sexist, but I, I think we all recognize that wouldn't really work all that well you know they, they could claim that she had you know sexually assaulted somebody in high school or college without any evidence or any underlying believable credible story whatsoever but that probably would also be a bad idea so what are they turning to here and what is this really all about they're having to go after her catholicism comparing the possible elevation of Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court as a a chapter in a real-life version of The Handmaid's Tale. I'm pretty sure that The Handmaid's Tale, they they got the whole reference. Isn't it in the the Gospel of Luke that uh, Mary says, I am to be a handmaid of the Lord when she is told that she will give birth to Jesus? Anyway, The Handmaid's Tale, that's what they're telling us it would be if we had the elevation of Amy Coney Barrett to this uh, Supreme Court seat. <clears throat> and they have the votes. The Republicans have the votes. So the narrative so far hasn't worked. They're trying to come up with something. I don't know if they really believe that defaming a Catholic for her faith, I mean, for just being a mainstream believing Catholic, defaming one, is a good idea right before the election. Although I will say Catholics who in majority vote Democrat uh, have largely turned into a, you know, for, for a lot of Catholics, I should say, their Catholicism is something more akin to being in the Rotary Club. You know, it, it's a little bit more like a, like a community organizer group where you go twice a year and, you know, you tell people you're Catholic, but you don't really believe it. Like, you don't believe any of that stuff. And there are a lot a lot of those Catholics are, are going to vote Democrat. A lot of those Catholics are going to be fine with all of this because they don't take offense to the slandering of their faith because it's really more of a of a cultural and social tradition for them. 
But maybe it's going to backfire on them. I, I can't tell you that. I, I can't know in advance. I, somebody who was uh, raised Roman Catholic and went to Jesuit school and studied for years in school the Scripture uh, and, and the New Testament, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many Catholics think that the, uh, the Democrats are the ones that really represent their ideals. But nonetheless, that's what ends up, that's what ends up happening. That's the, uh, the new reality that we all live in here. So they're going to try the, the process moves. They're going to try to just do what they can to prevent this from happening. As I've said to you, here's Chuck Schumer saying that they're going to use tools to delay this. Play 12. Do you believe that you have tactical options to slow them down? Yes. A, we have tactical options to slow them down. We will use every tool in the toolkit. Now, admittedly, McConnell has uh, changed things, changed the rules, so we have fewer tools and they're less sharp. But every tool we have, we will use. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to try to prevent access to the building, I think. That's a very... A very likely pathway here. You know, the activists, the Democrat stormtroopers, they're, they're the ones that will make sure that people can't actually show up and, and vote on this. Um, they're going to say, well, that this is a terrible day for women's rights. Isn't it amazing the Democrats argue consistently that the elevation of an eminently qualified mother of seven to the Supreme Court is somehow a loss for women. Yes, modern feminism has done so much for women, hasn't it? Negated uh, huge parts of, of who they are and undermined motherhood. But anyway, I mean, that's, that's not new. We've been seeing that for a long time. I only wish that people would wake up to this reality. Uh, it, they really they really want to force as many women as possible. And I, look, women should be allowed to choose whatever their destiny. If they don't if they don't want to get married, don't have kids. Great. You're allowed to do that, of course. And if you want to be a person who's only chasing a career, that's fine. But a lot of women that I know have been pressured into being little cubicle warriors, you know, trying to make partner at the at the, uh, you know, the city law firm or something. And they're miserable. They're absolutely miserable because they don't have time to have a family. They don't have time to raise kids. They're doing these things. But if you even say that out loud, people shout at you. Oh, you're like one of the bad people in The Handmaid's Tale. This is the same way that the left has. They have a few uh, cultural uh, cultural analogies that they like to make or that they have a few cultural references that will come up constantly in politics. They love Harry Potter and they love The Handmaid's Tale. Those are the two things. I know other people like Harry Potter, too, but they're the the liberals need to read another book. Uh, But I, I think that. They're going to do everything that they can to frighten people around Amy Coney Barrett, and it's not going to work. But it does create a frenzied state of mind for the Democrat base so that then they're more willing to do the insane things that Chuck Schumer can't say out loud, can't tell people they're going to do or they they should do. But he is hoping that they will. And then they're just going to say things that are obviously factually. Uh wrong i mean here's cnn's allison camarada for example making a claim that anybody with a a passing familiarity with our legal system and and the constitution would know is is not really an accurate statement play three i think one of the interesting discussions about abortion is that the country is generally divided i mean almost split right in half about how they view it however 
In the latest Gallup polls, 20 percent of the country, oh, I should say only 20 percent of the country wants to outlaw it. Okay, so you can feel differently about the different nuances of it, but only 20 percent wants to outlaw it. And that's ultimately, you know, obviously what would happen if Roe versus Wade were done away with. And so it's just interesting. I mean, obviously, we're we're segueing into a political stance here. But if the country does, you know, would support the direction that this is going in. She left out that 80 percent of the country believes that third term abortion should be illegal. Or maybe it's 70 some odd percent now, but huge majority of the country thinks that third term abortion should be illegal. Europe, which is a very progressive place, Europe has restrictions on abortion. Most Europe, I mean, depends on the European country. Uh, but there are European countries where, you know, the first trimester you're allowed to. But beyond that, they they say that, this, you know, the science, this is the European argument. I mean, the real argument is life at conception. But the, the European argument in these states would be that pain and consciousness because of the development of the fetus has reached a stage where you know, four months in, this is a this is a baby, obviously. Democrats won't admit that. No, it's not a baby. It's something else. It's just a clump of of cells that's growing that looks a lot like a human that has a heart and a brain. Uh, But what she says about how it would obviously be outlawed is obviously untrue. There would be some states that outlaw. There would be some places that don't want abortion to happen. But there'd be other states. It would become a state's issue. Which makes a whole lot more sense than the Roe v. Wade decision. And then you'd have places where there was this practice going on. You'd have other places where there wasn't. Federal funding would probably have to change. You wouldn't have federal funding for uh, clinics that do abortion. So, I mean, it would be a huge victory for the pro-life movement, obviously, no question about that. But it wouldn't be illegal everywhere. But they're just going to say things like, it would be illegal. Well, where? Where specifically? And I think that, you know, California and the morality, for example, in New York and California of its abortion practices would feel very different to a lot of the residents If they couldn't force Texas and Alabama and Wyoming to also have abortion, right? If they couldn't force these other states to do it under federal law. So there's there's also that there's the creeping fear of, oh, my gosh, what if people can actually stop and think about what has been going on and who has been supporting this and how grotesque and immoral it is. But this is the most they can do. It's really all about Roe. I mean, the people that say. Amy Coney Barrett is such a setback for women and they're all terrified about her more than anything else. It's Roe v. Wade, which is now a, a plank in the Democrat Party. It's really essential to the Democrat ethos in a way where I don't think that they can handle the prospect of not having that horrible Supreme Court decision in place. I think it emotionally damages and drains them just to think about it. But they haven't come up yet with the Amy Coney Barrett destruction routine they, they they haven't shown us their hand i'm wondering what it will be perhaps it will just be process there'll be catholic bashing there'll be anti-woman stuff of course but maybe it really is just they they're pulling the fire alarms in congress and forming human chains at the front door and hoping that does it thanks for listening to the best of buck daily podcast get more from buck by following him on social media at buck sexton on facebook twitter and instagram And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg lived an inspiring life. She paved the way for women in the law. And America mourns the passing of a true public servant. The Constitution of the United States provides that the president shall appoint judges to the Supreme Court. And before the week is out, after we honor the life and memory of Justice Ginsburg... 
President Donald Trump will do just that. This Saturday, President Donald Trump will nominate another principled conservative, a woman to the Supreme Court of the United States. And after the United States Senate fulfills their duty to advise and consent, we're going to fill that seat. They're going to fill the seat, folks. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm pleased that the Republicans really never missed a moment. I, I think there are a couple things that come together on this one. One is that by filling by filling the seat, they are likely more likely to keep their seats. So this is one of those great moments where political self-interest coincides with the supposed policy preferences of the Republican Party, right? With with the obligation to voters that the Republican Party has. So what's best for our Republican politicians is also best for the people who voted for them. Look at that. It's amazing how that comes together. That, that's that's very encouraging. It, it does not seem at all to me like uh, there's going to be some uh, wavering on the part of Republicans. I mean, Collins and Murkowski, they can duck out and. You know, this may be a, this may be an instance, this may be a circumstance where you say, well, let's let them do that. Or I should say not not be too hard on punishing them because we'd rather have Collins and Murkowski than a Democrat and they don't want to lose reelection. So they're taking this more moderate path. Uh, but you, you just remember, you can't trust them, though. So they're going to be Republicans. You can't really count on. It's better than a Democrat, but not not much. Mitt Romney. I I was very hard on him in the first 24 hours when that. Well, to be fair, there was an announcement that came out from someone close to Romney, according to the media. I think they tried to set the narrative beforehand. I, I, I think something was going on here because there was an announcement that said that Mitt Romney was not going to vote on a Supreme Court nominee until after the election uh, or, you know, would not think that that was appropriate. And then the, the Romney camp, such as it is, said, no, 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 that's not true. So something something happened there. For sure. But that was why I initially thought Romney was going to make Benedict Arnold look like a team player. Turns out even Romney seems like he's going to hold the line. Play four. I think there's some perception on the part of of some writers and others that, gee, what happened with Merrick Garland was unfair. I don't agree with that. I don't know whether you you think it was a good decision or not, but it wasn't unfair because it was consistent with history. It was consistent with precedent. It was consistent with the Constitution. So uh, the idea that the Merrick Garland decision was unfair and therefore it has to be made up uh, by doing something uh, which also wouldn't make a lot of sense, which is saying to President Trump, you can't get your nominee either. That, that just doesn't follow for me. Uh, the Garland decision was consistent with, with history. The decision to proceed with a new nominee is also consistent with history and, and precedent. Uh, and uh, that's where I come out. Yeah. My friends, Mitt Romney's correct here. Look at this. The Merrick Garland thing, not the same situation, folks. Not the same deal. It's very straightforward. There's no reason that they can try to pretend. And sorry, Democrats, elections have consequences. The, the one thing Obama said, the one quote from Obama that I got to say is useful and true. <laughs> so uh, what is one of our maximums on this show? We give credit where it's due. And we're giving credit to Mitt on this one so far. And we're going to give credit to uh, even Barack Obama for elections got consequences. Yes, it, it is obvious, but it is true. So I, I think that we are going to go forward here. And the libs, I will say, 
watching them squirm over this one. They're just so upset about this. Oh, my gosh. They're going to have a conservative Supreme Court. And it's not even going to be that conservative. You see, here, here's the problem. And I, I want to I say this before we start making fun of more silly libs. Because of what a conservative's judicial philosophy is, we don't get as much perceived uh, or actual political value out of the Supreme Court. We don't want a super legislature of the Supreme Court. That's not what I'm advocating for. That's not what those of you listening to this show want. Maybe some of you want that, but I mean, generally speaking, that's not what we want because all we're asking for is that there are judges who understand the law and apply the law based upon what it says and what the intent of the Constitution as written with its amendments is. Not that they have something they prefer and then they shoehorn that into a dishonest pseudo-legal framework to give people the policy outcome that they prefer. That's legislation. That's not the judicial uh, the judicial realm. And that's why I think, you know, as conservatives, it's not like we're going to get uh, we're going to get a Supreme Court that says, OK, you're going to have universal concealed carry across the country in every jurisdiction, which I think we should have. But and, and you're going to you know, the, they're going to have a flat tax only of 15 uh, percent. And we're going to you know, that would be great. That would be great. But it's not going to happen. We don't we don't have. A, a conservative Supreme Court is not a magic wand for conservative policies. So the so liberals should really chill out a little bit about this. But the problem is a liberal leading Supreme Court is a magic wand for their desired outcomes and policies. So they're losing that. It's like a kid that's take, having his favorite toy taken away. They're like, I want it back. They're so sad about this. Too bad. Elections have consequences. Too bad. But that's the, the, the key difference you're going to see here. So in the, on the one hand, I want to tell all the Democrats and liberals out there, just calm down, okay? The world's not going to end. It's actually going to be a better place, but they won't like it as much. But the law will be the law. That's all we want. We want the law to be fair and applied evenly and equally and morally. Not to have it be some scam to make Chuck and Nancy happy. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't know. We won't call them fascist comments. Fascist. Fascism. Fascist. Call fascism. Fascism. Just fascist. Fascist. Notions of fascism. Xenophobic. Racist. Demagogic. Racist. Sexist. Xenophobic. Autocratic. And fascistic. Donald Trump's a fascist. Someone like a fascist or a tyrant or an autocrat. Fascist rhetoric. Fascist language. Fascists. I'm, I'm glad that you're starting talking about fascism. Hitler. Right. Fascist rhetoric. He's talking the way fascists talk. Autocratic. Fascist. Nazi Germany. Before the rise of Hitler, fascist language. To Hitler, fascist Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Hitler, Hitler, well, Hitler, 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 but Hitler. From what Adolf Hitler preached in the early 30s. Let's just say it once and for all. You know, Morning Joe really is for people with 95 IQs who think they have 120 IQs. But in case you didn't already know that, I, I hope that supercut of what they talk about on Morning Joe or they're discussing Donald Trump. I just I saved you. I don't know. That show's on for like three, four hours in the morning, you know, just sitting around. 
Joe Scarborough waxing philosophical on MSNBC. That's right, just doing the little dance for the libs. Oh, Joe is a Republican, but now he's seen the light. Do your little dance for the libs, Joe. Do what they want, like a little puppet, a little marionette. Oh, they pay you very well. Who needs integrity? Who needs to stand for something, to care about something? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, it's all because of Trump? Scarborough and Mika were super buddy-buddy with Trump while he was running for president. But then he decided he didn't like him so much. So now it's he's a fascist. He's a fa- <laughs> what frauds. Oh, the worst people in America are TV journalists. They really are the worst. The worst. The most worthless. V, uh, the most worthless as compared to their pay scale are TV journalists and the most replaceable and yet most arrogant at the same time. It's, it's pretty amazing. Producer Mark, where did that supercut even come from? Uh, that's that was great. I just want to give it a hat. Do we know? Uh, I believe Tom Elliott from Grabian. Oh, Grabian. Okay, because uh, because that's a great one. Just fascism. Always oh, a fascist. Always oh, a fascist. Always oh, a fascist. H- how is Donald? How are we even having this conversation anymore? Donald Trump is a fascist because of what exactly? Because he sounds like a fascist. How is that true? Like, what are they even saying? It's just it's just words. Fascism for the left, which, as we know, fascism is a ideology that shares the same roots. It's a collectivist ideology, same as shares the same roots of communism. And the fascists and the communists were fighting over the same recruits in the 1930s and into the 1940s. And, you know, there's just there's not, you know, democratic socialism is what the fascists in Nazi Germany were uh, were called. Nonetheless, they say this. It it reminds me there's a movie from the 1980s, I think. I think it might be a Whit Stillman movie called Barcelona. And there's an American who's like a naval attache who's clearly a a Reagan style Republican. And and he walks around and these these left wing Spaniards, because Spain was very left wing at the time. There are all these countries, European countries that you know, are much less impressive now than they were three, four, five hundred years ago, and they want to blame somebody, so they, they tend to blame America. There's, a, that's a, there's that. Greece, it's definitely true, and Greece hasn't been that awesome And oh, God, going back now a couple thousand years. Uh, you know, but you, you go back to, uh, to the, the uh, Barcelona movie, and, and they just walk around, and people call an American who wears a military uniform, they just say fascist, fascist. That became the the political slam uh, that, that they would throw around that. And it was true for a while. People would just say fascist is a, a word that is used to mean I think your politics are ugly and I don't like you. But that's not what fascism actually is. So, so I think it's interesting that they complain about the demagoguery of the other side or they say that Trump is, is a demagogue, uh, is a demagogue and, and, of course, a fascist. But then they use terms that are inaccurate to describe a guy that they don't like just because they're smearing him effectively. That's what they're doing. But this is all part of the cry more lib phenomenon. Cry more lib, as we should say to them about Amy Coney Barrett. And, and I'm going to say this. I, I plan on being a sore winner if we are victorious in this reelection. I, I'm not going to say, oh, it's OK, libs. You know, you'll get them next time. And we're all Americans and everything else. No, I mean, we all are Americans and the country's going to be better off if Trump wins. But mm no sympathy, no sympathy for the libs if they lose politically, right? Like I said, they get they get the benefit of living in a country that will be wealthier, better, more rule of law based, more prosperous. So they'll be safer. They'll be wealthier. They'll be uh, 
treated equally under the law under Trump presidency more than they would under Biden presidency. So that's why I don't feel sorry for them, because it's just an emotional state that will be violated for them. It's all it's all psychological. It's not based in reality. And of course, there are left wing interests and things that won't benefit as much from Trump winning. But I mean, the, you know, your average American, even if they don't know it, would be better off with Trump as president for four more years. Joe Biden is a loser. Democrats have known this for decades, but Hillary was Hillary was supposed to be their their dynasty for eight years. And we know this. They tried. She lost to Obama. They tried again. She lost to Trump. Right. It was all it was all on Hillary. And they they didn't have a bench that they could go to. So they put forward this guy who's, you know, it's like they've brought a a journeyman professional, uh, you know, basketball player out of retirement. And everyone's like, look, the guy's got two bad knees. He was never that good to begin with. And they're saying, no, let's make him the the franchise player of a brand new expansion team. He's worth 20 million dollars a year. We're looking at them like you guys are nuts. This, this, we, we know who this guy is. This guy's impressive. Why would we? I mean, this is the, the there are so many fundamental questions that Democrats can't answer today that they should be forced to answer. Why would why would Democrats expect us to believe that a presidential candidate who had run three times previously? And who was a third tier even fourth tier candidate then now when he's past his prime too old for the job clearly shows signs of slowing down intellectually now he should be the leader of the free world this i mean he's just a retread i mean this is a a rebrand of a weak brand whatever works whatever works that that's all you're going to hear and and the the way they plan to get this done is merely by saying uh, over and over again that Trump is a fascist and that he's basically Hitler. And m- meanwhile, the people that are telling you if you don't wear a mask constantly, including outdoors, for which there is no scientific evidence to support that that's a good idea. None doesn't exist. They can't have there's not a single study that shows there is any considerable risk whatsoever. Not one outdoors doesn't exist. Walk around New York City right now. Ninety five percent of people on the street are wearing masks outside by themselves. And people say, oh, Bob, but maybe it's more. No, it's not more convenient. It's annoying and uncomfortable. They're doing it because they've been brainwashed. All right. I keep my mask in my back pocket so that if I have to go into a store or something, I, I can. And so I do. But. In that environment where we have such an abuse of science, such an abuse of these, they're, they're claiming that Trump is the fascist. If he had. Even authoritarian tendencies, never mind an actual authoritarian design on the future of this country. He was given the greatest opening imaginable for that. A pandemic disease that they say he didn't take seriously enough. Trump could have been the one to say federal executive order, shut down the following businesses, federal executive order from from the White House, from the desk of the president. Everyone has to do X, Y and Z, you know, and he didn't. I mean, some things obviously shut down the travel, but I'm talking about really oppressive tactics to deal with this virus, including uh, counterproductive ones. The most oppressive voices during this have been Democrats all along. Some Republicans have gone along with them, but the people pushing for the most draconian, scientifically unsupported responses to this virus have been Democrats. But they call Trump the fascist. 
Like ultimately, it's just they're they're they don't like him, and so they're going to say terrible things about him, whether they're true or not doesn't matter in the least to them. They simply do not care. They'll say anything that they think will work in the public mind to make him seem like a bad person, a person of bad character who's done a bad job. The words are almost irrelevant. You know, they could call him a, a you know, a, a stupid potty head or something. And, you know, like like a third, uh, like a, a three-year-old, you know, a stupid, silly, you know, whatever. I can't even think of what three-year-olds say, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, they could, they, they it'd have the same effect. I mean, this is what they're doing. It's just, oh, I don't like Trump. I don't like Trump. Uh, you know, J- John Heilman, uh, another one of these lib journos who's just sort of clinging to a former relevance. And now that people know more about the world, I think they know that they should not listen to people like this. Here's what he says about Trump. Play five. And someone commented, the, the, the quote was, nice death cult you got there, GOP. And that really is, I mean, this is yeah. the other thing. It goes back to another, like, so the, one of the core, I mean, it really does, I'm using a phrase like death cult about uh, one of the great American political parties in our, in our nation's history. To say that we would have once seemed hyperbolic, but it increasingly does feel like the Republican Party has become a death cult. And it's all about Donald Trump. And I do think, again, one of the things that sets Trump apart, like what are the things that set Trump apart from every other president? The pathology of the lying, the cruelty, the not taking this, you know, not making the virus central when any other president of any party that we've ever experienced in in our lifetimes would have made the virus front and center. Republicans are a death cult. Yeah, we, we want people to die. Sure, uh, we don't care about people dying. Where do the most people die from this pandemic per capita? Blue states run by Democrats, where Democrats are in charge of state and local health authorities and Democrats are in charge of setting policies. New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, the worst hit place, Illinois, Michigan, the worst hit places by COVID-19, Democrats in charge. But Trump is running the death cult. Governor Cuomo sends thousands of seniors with COVID-19 back into their nursing homes by order of the state, creating a huge spike in deaths in those nursing homes from COVID. But Trump is running a death cult. Right. Because of what decision that he made exactly? Oh, his rhetoric or his tone or it's pathetic, isn't it? Their arguments are just garbage. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. Let's get a view from the front lines of the fight, friends. We now have Congressman Matt Gates with us. He is the, well, of course, Congressman from down in Florida, also podcast host. He's got a new book out, Firebrand Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. He is indeed on those front lines. Congressman, great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, let's start with this, man, because you're in D.C. right now. You're, you're in the Capitol. Uh, there are protests going on, more stuff expected. What do you think is going to be happening on Capitol Hill while we have this super intense election and then monumentally fierce battle over a Supreme Court seat going on at the same time? Well, uh, you know, the Michael Bloomberg political operation wrote a memo that had a few things in it that were right. 
One is that it's very difficult to convince people to vote for Joe Biden, that there needs to be a mobilization effort more than a persuasion effort. They view that as a losing battle. And also that Donald Trump is likely to win the vote on election day. And so the entire scenario you see playing out from the legal vector to kind of the street theater that you see going on, you know, just outside the window where I am right now, uh, is that they want to create space between Donald Trump's election day win and some other moment to try to deprive him of the presidency or undermine the legitimacy of his presidency. And during the pendency of that period of time, they want to create confusion over mail-in ballots, when they were postmarked, what can be counted, uh, and the hopes that that will allow them to take power, even if it is not that it, that which is vested to uh, their political operation on election day as a result of the electoral college. So I think we're in that dire circumstance. Uh, and I think that it just shows how transformational President Trump is that uh, these are the links they're going to. And we've seen reporting that the, the Bloomberg operation is spending a lot of money to pay off. I mean, you're a congressman from Florida, so you know the political scene down there as well as the national level very well. Uh, they're spending money. Bloomberg is spending money to pay off the debts of convicted felons as part of this mobilization. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, not all convicted felons, like not if you're white, Buck. So they have written memos identifying specific racial and like voter propensity segments of the felon population uh, that are trying to get their rights restored. And they're going and paying off those specific things to try to incentivize the vote. Now, that's a very dangerous thing to do. It's a felony in the state of Florida to either directly or indirectly offer something of value uh, in exchange for someone altering their voting behavior, not even who they would vote for or not, but whether they would vote or not. And in this case, you literally have the Bloomberg political operatives writing the confession, saying that they are doing uh, these payoffs for these political outcomes. I've encouraged our state attorney general to direct the statewide prosecutor to start an investigation. Uh, she says she's on top of it. And so I'm hopeful that we'll be able to determine if this is even legal, what's going on. Because let me just tell you something. If Sheldon Adelson was like, forget giving casino debt for people that were going to go vote for Donald Trump, they would be storming his house like it was Roger Stone 2.0. That is a terrifying thought, by the way. It's like a zero dark 30 moment. All of a sudden they come in through the windows. They're rappelling in with the MP5s to get Roger Stone, of course, as we know. Very, very different when there's a Democrat who is uh, in the government's crosshairs. Uh, tell us what you you're expecting here for how they can block the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. We, we know that they can't do it on votes. We know they can't do it under the Constitution, but they're the Democrats, Pelosi and Schumer out there, among others, are making this case that they, you know, Pelosi said a quiver of arrows. Uh, Schumer is well, he's just being Schumer making stuff up, but he's saying, oh, we're going to find a way. Is there is there something we're not looking? I've been saying that that they're going to lie down in the streets. They're going to block access to the building. They're going to pull the fire alarm. They're going to, you know, I, things like that. Is there something we're missing either procedurally or otherwise? No, I mean, look, we have the power and we damn well better use it or we'll demoralize our own base. Uh, my expectation is that Mitch McConnell is going to hold this vote uh, very proximate to the election, probably before the election. Uh, I'm also uh, expecting the Democrats to try to use uh, various procedural endeavors to try to jam that, but I don't think they'll be successful. But like, what's rich to me, Buck, is that they spent years saying that Donald Trump was undermining our institutions and that he was this like great threat to 
throw off all norms of democracy. And now, because he's likely to get reelected, Democrats are talking about packing the court and like maybe even impeaching the attorney general of the United States just to create a procedure bomb in the Senate. Ludicrous. Yeah, they're, they're threatening the very institutions that they claim Trump has been a threat to for years. I think the irony is lost on very few people that have not suffered from intense TDS over the last few years. So so your book, Matt, you're, you're talking about being on the front lines of the MAGA uh, revolution. And and right now, obviously, the president's out there making his case to the American people about why why he should get four more years uh, for, for you. I and mean, when you're speaking to either your constituents or you're, you're just addressing a, a national audience on on cable news or shows like this one, what, what are the what are the biggest points that you that you make about why Trump should get why has he earned you know the first time around it was based on ideas charisma you know the promise of trump right now we've had him for four years what are the big areas where you say look at this and it will be that based on what we've already seen donald trump has changed politics by keeping promises uh, you look at our relationship with Israel. You look at the, w- the way we became an energy producing country, an energy dominant country. And then, of course, building the strongest economy that the United States has ever known. This is a guy who's done it once. He can do it again. But I think he's done something even more important for the next generation of conservatives. He's led a political realignment. No longer are we going to be the Republican Party that invades everywhere and invites every illegal alien to cross our borders uh, just because it's good for corporate America to have cheap labor. No longer are we going to accept trade deals that impoverish you know, regular towns in our country so some multinational corporation can add a little bit to their next bottom line. So I think there's a real America first theme to our politics. I think that's animated in specific policies. You know, I think that Republicans, frankly, didn't do the president a great deal of uh, service at the beginning when we had unified control of the government. We should have done a lot more on immigration. We should have done a lot more on entitlement reform. I blame the failed leadership of Paul Ryan uh, on that. And look, the reason the Russia probe went on so long is because you had folks like Trey Gowdy out there shilling for the FBI, you know, saying that they were doing nothing wrong when the rest of us were saying, look, this is a coup underway because they do not like this man so much. They will let any any end or they will let the ends justify any means. And now, in fact, we know people are getting indicted and pleading guilty for changing evidence before a secret court. So the book is kind of my walk through that and my hope that going forward, we're a populist, excited party and that we're not going back to the Bushes or the Cheneys uh, or the next, uh, you know, the next iteration of establishment conservatism. How is it looking for us in Florida right now? And this is obviously I mean, I think people would say Florida, Ohio are the two most important. I mean, you got to get Florida and Ohio. Are, are we going to be in a position on Election Day to win? And, and why? I mean, I, you're probably look, you're optimistic. I'm optimistic. So we both think Trump will win Florida. But why is Trump going to win Florida? I want the audience to hear that. So, like, I'll give you a look at 2018. I was very involved in Governor DeSantis' campaign. There was no poll we ever took during the general election where we were ahead. We were always like two, three, four points behind. And then, you know, some polls we would maybe be tied. At the end, Ron DeSantis wins a very close race. The turnout model in Florida, I think, uh, is going to uh, really be good for the president because you got a lot of seniors that are NPAs that are not here for the Woketopia. I mean, the Woketopia for senior voters in Florida is year-round golf. 
not riots in the streets and reparations coming out of people's bank accounts. And so I think that that will help the state. Also, Miami-Dade County looks very different for Joe Biden than it did for Hillary Clinton. Uh, these A lot of working class Hispanics in Miami-Dade County maybe just a generation or two removed from actual socialism. And they don't want to go back. They want to be a part of building a great country. And uh, they, uh, I think, are very turned off by the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris embrace of what you see going on in Portland and San Francisco and some of these places where quality of life is deteriorating rapidly. How's the president's spirits these days? I know you're in constant contact with him. Hey, he is real excited about this Supreme Court pick. You know, when we talked about it the other day, he he talked about the sizzle, the substance, just getting someone that was a total package that could really go in there and uh, add something to the jurisprudence of our country and really build on this Trump legacy of reshaping the court. Like all these Republicans that were the never Trumpers and oh, he violates norms. Like would they have preferred Hillary Clinton to make these three picks? We, we'd have like the purple-haired, genderless warlord from the Chaz as the next Supreme Court justice, uh, rather than the folks we have there who I think are going to interpret the Constitution and not embrace the judicial activism that's very anti-democratic. Florida Congressman Matt Gates, everybody. Download his podcast. Also, pick up his new book, Firebrand Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution, Amazon.com, other places you can grab it. Congressman, great to see you, man. Come back soon. Thanks, Buck. I appreciate it, man. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Charges today in the case involving Breonna Taylor, a EMT who was killed in Louisville, Kentucky back in March. Uh, This case has gotten a tremendous amount of attention from the media Uh, You've seen celebrities like LeBron James, I mean, huge uh, followings on social media have 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 taken a lot of time to focus on this case. Uh, Here's what we know after today. There are three officers involved in this raid. Uh, It was it was executing a search warrant. We shouldn't call it a raid. It was executing a search warrant. And we have been told that it was a no knock a no knock raid. That was what they said. Turns out that wasn't true. They did knock. The police did announce their presence. So they banged on the door and said, police, open up. And then a, a guy involved here, Kenneth Walker, who is believed to perhaps alleged to be involved in the drug trade. Uh, he shot at those officers. The officers returned fire. And in returning fire, they accidentally hit Breonna Taylor. Look, it's a tragedy. All right. That woman did not deserve to get shot at all. It was not a it was not justified in the sense that she posed any kind of a threat and that the officers meant to shoot her. But she was in the line of fire for officers who were returning fire because one of the officers was shot by Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. So here we have a case where the cops say open up police and then they enter after giving notice of their and some guy pulls out a gun and shoots an officer. What do we expect the officers to do? What is the you know, what does the mob and we're, we're preparing for riots across the country now because of this case? What are we demanding of police officers in this circumstance? How many of them have to get shot before they return fire? Now, we're really to believe that this guy, Kenneth Walker, uh, didn't didn't know that these were cops. It's 3 a.m. They're knocking on the door. They're saying police. And he opens up and starts shooting. 
you know, there is a culpability here for not knowing who you're shooting at, too. Meaning who you're attempting, who you're trying to shoot. The problem on the other end here is that police, in trying to return fire on Kenneth Walker, hit a, a bystander in this case. Now, there are charges that have come from this. And I'm trying to read into this because it's just it's just uh, just breaking today, uh, breaking now, actually, as I'm as I'm uh, addressing you with this. And I'm, I'm trying to, to make sure that I, I get these these correctly. Um, but there are three charges of effectively reckless endangerment from one of the officers. From what I understand, it's that he they're saying he fired his weapon too many times under the circumstances and endangered other people. It's a class D felony uh, could go to prison for five years. So really, this is they wanted to charge an officer with something so that they could say that they put charges out there because people are so, um, you know, so upset about the death of this woman. And look, it, it is just be very clear about this. It is a tragedy that Breonna Taylor died. OK, it is a tragedy. This young woman died. It was it was an accident it was a tragic accident these law enforcement officers were not trying to shoot her they were returning fire and she was it was in a dark hallway in an apartment building and she got hit and you know the family is going to receive a large uh, i believe actually already has received a large payment from the city of, of louisville i mean this should not have happened but to say that the officers involved were criminal were racist were uh were murderers which is what we've been led to believe by the media for a long time here, right? This is part. This has been a BLM rallying cry over Breonna Taylor for months. It is not the case. It is simply not the case that they murdered this woman. That it was excessive or brutal force. It was exactly what I described to you: police returning fire legitimately, and the black attorney general for Kentucky said exactly that. It was a justified use of force from police officers to open fire on Kenneth Walker. So, you know, this is just a question of, you know, what what are you supposed to expect? What are the officers going to do? Now, the the charges against them, uh, the charges against them, uh, or rather against one officer, two of the officers are facing no charges. I mean, to me, this is just they want to say that they found a criminal charge here. And this is a troubling precedent that keeps getting set in different places across the country where because the mob is so upset let's at least give them something let's charge to placate the mob we saw this in that terrible case in omaha where there was a lawful self-defense and the individual their gardener uh was essentially fed to the angry mob i mean fed to the wolves over this one because it was a black BLM protester who attacked him and the mob doesn't doesn't want anyone to think they're allowed to defend themselves against the tactics of BLM. So they brought in a special prosecutor. Here we have the Kentucky AG saying we're going to charge these men, um, even though officers Mattingly and Cosgrove, I'm sorry, we'll charge a man, one officer, even though officers Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in their use of force because the third officer fired, you know, fired two uh, too many rounds. I mean, put a reckless endangerment charge. Come on. We know what this is, folks. Putting a criminal charge on someone to try to mollify the mob. And you know what? It's not going to work. Get ready for mayhem, because that's what the left does. 